Hi, everyone. This is Cassie from Woke Mental Wellness. It's been almost, wow, almost two years since the last time I did a podcast episode. A lot has happened. It has been a long two years. The world is on fire, I'm sure uh, you've noticed by now. I want to come back to this podcast, but I'm thinking that it's going to be still educational, but also just a place to talk, to vent, maybe even have some folks join me. Remotely, of course, since being in person is still dangerous, but I'm thinking that this can be a place where we as Black queer people can come and learn something and also maybe hear something from someone who's like you in some ways. So yeah, things that are different. I'm starting my own business now. That might also mean some changes as far as how the podcast comes out, how it works, the labeling on it. It also means these two years that I am officially a licensed therapist in the state of Illinois. And so it's possible to get services from me when my caseload is open. Those are just some things and I've got some thoughts. Maybe even having some broadcasted games and things because I really like tabletop games and they've kind of been what's kept me sane through all of this mess. I think for today in our welcome back episode, unfortunately it's not going to be quite a celebratory tone, but I think it's really important for us to talk about what's been going on in the world, how it can and is affecting us in various ways, and the trauma of being Black and queer, particularly non-binary and trans, in specifically this moment in time. With that said, let's go ahead and dive in. We will just start with COVID. It is a new disease that started circulating at the end of 2019. There is world debates over who started it and what it is, but what matters now is the fact that this disease is running rampant in the United States and it is killing more black and brown people in this country because of our systems healthcare systems that were already a problem, already had systemic racism and oppression and white supremacy running through their veins. It's been so apparent with the way this disease started and has spread when the research started coming out that Black people and other people of color, particularly Latinx folks, are more impacted per capita than the white population, suddenly America's racist heritage came to the forefront and predominantly white people started protesting against having to wear protection and for their quote-unquote right to get a haircut against public safety. This pandemic has had us all separated from our friends and our support systems in a lot of ways, or on the other side of things, cooped up way too close to our support systems and our loved ones. 
in ways that are also really uncomfortable and mentally taxing. This pandemic is worldwide. I know at this point I'm focusing on the U.S. because that's where I live, and also the U.S. just takes up a lot of space in the world because we're we're kind of awful as a country, as we will continue to talk about today. The mental health aspect, the mental wellness aspect of this pandemic is what I want to focus on because I'm not an epidemiologist and I'm not a medical doctor, but I am a therapist and a mental wellness advocate. And the fact of the matter is, is this is a global worldwide trauma, both acute and complex because it's environmental and it's also highlighting the intergenerational traumas and the macro relationships between us and our governments, regardless of where you live, that's true. Now, from our end here in the U.S., it is showing us exactly how problematic our relationship is with the government, a government that adamantly refuses to take care of its people in any meaningful sort of way, especially when the impact of things falls predominantly or lopsidedly into the arena of black and brown people. It's painful to live here right now. It was painful to live here in April. It was painful to live here in a lot of ways, even before the pandemic, but even more so once the statistics started coming out. And so we have this massive global trauma that we are all presently living through and trying to cope through in our own ways. It makes us feel so many things. It's an exacerbation of our coping skills, whether they're healthy or unhealthy, they're there whether they're the ones you like or the ones you don't. A lot of people right now are experiencing that increase in symptoms, that increase in comfort-seeking, and it's distressing. There's also that added weight of the fact that going outside Doing things that we used to do without thinking about it are either gone, like going to a concert, going to a bar, going to restaurants, going to the gym, or very risky, going over to friends' houses, hosting a dinner party, watching movies with a small group of friends. Yeah, you can still do it. There's lots of things coming out about creating quarantine bubbles or pods, which is groups of friends that you all agree to a certain level of risk and you all agree to try and maintain activities in a way so that you all kind of know that you're interacting with the world in a similar manner to try and keep each other safe while attending to your social and emotional needs. But regardless, that's a lot more thought than most people had ever put into their socializing habits, and into consent amongst friends. So that's, that's the pandemic. And as if a pandemic wasn't bad enough, the 
police in the U.S. decided that um, we had gone far too long without a bunch of high publicity, racially motivated murders. So now, on June 14th, when I'm recording this, we are going into our third week of racial uprisings in the United States in response to the unjust murder by agents of the state police of multiple black people, including Tony McDade, a black trans man who was murdered by police in Florida. These uprisings are widespread. They are in all 50 states now. There are protests of various sorts, actions, petitions, demands that government do what they're supposed to do and serve the people. That police be abolished, defunded, that those funds and those resources be put into creating a system that actually serves all citizens in the modern day and not just the rich white ones. These uprisings for Black trans people also have additional meaning because we, as trans and gender non-conforming folks, have been in the forefront, and Black queer folks in general, have been on the forefront of civil rights and movements and uprisings for decades. Everyone knows Martin Luther King, but his right-hand man was gay. Everyone knows Stonewall, and yet so many people don't know that the leaders were Black and Latinx, trans people. And so now, as people chant George Floyd, as people finally also start to talk about Breonna Taylor, somehow Tony McDade is still left out. Trans and non-binary people are frequently left out because there is a significant lack of solidarity within the Black community with cis Black folks. And it's gotta stop because trans rights are human rights and if they can come for trans people, they can come for Black people, they can come for any people that they simply don't like, as we have seen by 45, he has already declared war on anyone he doesn't like. He said Antifa, but anti-fascist isn't an organized group. It's not an organization. It's a moral obligation of decent people to be anti-fascist. And it's the moral obligation of decent people to seek to uphold the rights of all people and not debate the humanity of, oh, well, your gender is not the same as mine, because we've seen where that slope leads. We're in such a place of hurt and trauma right now across the country for everyone and even more so for black people so 
with all of these various traumas, let's talk about it. When we talk about trauma as a concept, it tends to get very vague very quickly. That one word encompasses so many different things. The shortcut way of talking about it is there's big T traumas and little t traumas. Big T trauma is the singular events or sometimes even series of events, but they are pinpointable events of things that most people already consider to be trauma. Things like a war, a car accident, a fire or a natural disaster, a shooting, a rape, a mugging, a murder. Witnessing or experiencing any of those things would be what is considered a big T trauma. Little t traumas are the day-to-day events that take a toll on us but tend to fly under the radar until they've stacked up enough to cause a clinically significant amount of distress. That can be things like microaggressions, misgendering, hostility at work, lack of affection from parents or other caregivers. Those things are little t traumas. There's various categories of the little t traumas, and they tend to go under the heading of complex trauma because there's a lot of them and there's a lot of different ways that they can impact us. And sometimes we don't even have to have memory of these things and they don't have to happen to us to affect us. And so when... I'm talking about trauma. We're encompassing all of that in this moment in history. And so that can feel like a lot that affects us, not just mentally, but also physically and spiritually, interpersonally, obviously, financially, and socially as well. It affects every level of our lives to be living in this moment in history. With that said, where those complex traumas come from and how they impact us is a little less known because white supremacy is a massive part of our system and some of that includes how much those factors are acknowledged by the institutions that are supposed to treat us and help us maintain our wellness. At this point, Black people, and especially Black trans people, have so many layers of trauma, some of which we're seeing the expressions, but we're still not getting the sorts of things that would help. So I'm going to break this down into the different levels so that it's easier to understand and utilize to talk about how you want to heal and how you want to go about getting help with that healing, whether it's from a therapist or a spiritual leader or what have you. The micro level is 
the one-on-one level. It's ourselves. And that's a lot of times when you do go into a therapist or coach or whomever, that's the level that we're talking about is micro. Mezzo is more of a mid-level. It can be family, it can be community, small communities. So when we take those two levels and we talk about complex traumas, we can look at it as a family system. If you're the person in the family and you grow up in an environment where people don't approve of you because of your gender, that's traumatic. You're going to have higher risk levels for depression, anxiety. You're going to potentially be more prone to various physical ailments as well. If you're black, your lineage of potentially slavery or just family being black in America will also come with that, also has trauma. Things where respect is demanded of children and they're not listened to is also traumatic, it's damaging. It's damaging to kids and we pass that down in the way we act. So if you have caregivers who do not give you the safety, the nurturing that is required for development, you might see some effects of that. I say all of this so that I can bring us up to what is happening to us in our society because this country is a giant family system and our government is supposed to be our caregivers. Say what you will about how much government should or should not provide. The truth of the matter is is the government acts like parents. If we have problems, we go to police or the courts or city hall to say, hey, I need this parking spot because I am in a wheelchair. And the hope would be that that spot would then be made accessible. If someone has harmed us, we want to have someone to go to in order to make the situation better. That's why we agree to do things like pay taxes, because we expect there to be a structure. The same way that in a family, when we're children, we need and we expect our parents to take care of us. So when we talk about being black and a trans person in America right now, we are talking about being an abusive family system with our country in which our siblings and other family members frequently at best fail to support us and protect us and at worst actively engage in oppressive behaviors toward us so that they can distance themselves and move closer to the charmed circle. The concept of the charmed circle goes back to a feminist named Gail Rubin. And basically, in a nutshell, is that there's a group of people that society values and respects more than others. The closer to the charmed circle you are, the more cis you are, 
the more heterosexual you are, the more white you are, the more educated and the more wealthy and the more able-bodied you are. And so then from that, the further you get, the more oppression and discrimination that you might face. And so that's where things like secondary and tertiary oppression come in as people try to get themselves closer to the charmed circle as a method of protection. In viewing our society as a family system, it also then gives us a method of explaining and understanding why some people are so hell-bent on maintaining attachment to these damaging structures like the police. Because if we come back to the micro level, when we are children, our caregivers are our world. We need them. A child can't say, oh my god, this is completely messed up. I'm grabbing my things and I'm gonna go rent a motel. A two-year-old can't do that. And so we will view ourselves as bad in order to protect our attachment, in order to try to get our needs met in whatever way we possibly can. That idea is the foundation of what we see happening when so many people are so willing to excuse murder and torture and gassing with things like, well, they shouldn't have run. Well, if they'd complied, nothing would have been the problem. Things that don't match reality. Because at some level, omitting that some people might just be flat out evil. Barring that, at some level, the rest of those people that aren't just evil, there is something that is so unimaginably painful about admitting the fact that our government has failed us, that they can't and won't do it. And so then we are left in these cycles and these systems of pain and trauma that pass down from generation to generation if we live that long. So what do we do? What do we do when we are in what feels like an inescapable, abusive family system with family members who would rather bury their heads in the sand than imagine or account for the possibility that we're all being failed and we're all being traumatized, but in different ways. That answer is less clear-cut, but there are things that we can do because we've lived this long. Not all of us, but if you can hear me right now, we can work on ourselves in order to find that peace and safety and get rid of the self-hate that this system has perpetuated upon us so that we can come together and we can be a true community so that Black, trans, and non-binary people don't have to question whether or not they're part of the Black community. If we heal, we can get through this. 
if we work on ourselves and admit the ways that the systems that we exist in breed self-hate in us, breed trauma in our families, and try to poison us in our souls. That gives us a space to rediscover who we are as human people so that we can live authentically, even if it is in a world that is a dumpster fire. That internal oasis, I believe, is the key to being able to process our various traumas, both big T and little t, while also having the space to demand the change in these systems that we so desperately need in order to be able to live. In my work, I use what's called NARM, the Neuroaffective Relational Model, to do this. But there are so many ways to heal. Our people have healed using music and movement, community, and so much. I think it's also important to note that part of healing is reconnecting with our roots. Not just the colonial roots, but also remembering that many cultures in pre-colonial Africa did not have problems with queerness. The last article I read estimated that somewhere around 295 or more cultures on the African continent before colonialization had words and acceptance for various relationships and genders outside the binary, showing that by and large, gender binaries and strict, rigid heterosexuality are colonialist imports. So when we talk about being in community and discovering our roots and connecting to whatever you want to call it, the divinity within or our energy or our connection with the earth and the ancestors or just our rhythm. As queer people, as black queer people, I think it's really important and really healing to remember that somewhere down the line, our ancestors would be proud to say black trans lives matter, would be proud to see the packed rally in New York for Tony McDade, for all of the trans women who are murdered both by police and also by black cis men and women who are transphobic. It's somewhere down the line, there's very likely an ancestor who would have been on your side. Part of our trauma is that our histories, languages, our religions, cultures were taken and they were buried, or at least attempted to be buried. There's a lot here, and I could go on for literal hours could teach lots of classes and seminars on this. 
But I think the key thing here is that discomfort isn't the end of us. If we allow ourselves to feel our anger and acknowledge that that protest is us saying, we deserve better. We deserve structures, institutions, governments that do what we signed on for them to do. And if they don't do those things, then we have the right to dismantle them. That is important. Anger that is not heard turns into rage. That is why black people right now are so angry. A lot of times there's also grief. For all of the numerous names that would take me a year or more years to say all of them because it seems like every day there's at least three more. But if we're all in this together... If we can all go back to being human, connecting with each other, connecting with ourselves, and creating communities where we understand that we all have emotions, that being a man isn't just genitals and not crying, that being a woman isn't just genitals and having babies. If we acknowledge that we are together and we have too much to gain to be split by colonialist white supremacist standards. We can heal and we can change things. In the last two weeks, there's been more movement on police abolition and reinvestment in communities because people got together. Black people, brown people, white people people together acknowledging that yeah we have differences our experiences are different and maybe some of that difference shouldn't be a higher death rate i've said a lot and i think this sets us up to maybe have some more in-depth discussions of some of the things i've glazed over and we can dig more into i hope to make this more regular And more than anything, I hope that we, as people, can come back together and rediscover our humanity so that we can heal and build something that benefits not just the super wealthy, not just the white, but that truly is something we can look at and say cares about and for anyone and everyone who needs it. Welcome back to Woke Mental Wellness, a mental wellness podcast for Black queer people by Black queer people.